0: This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society, Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org.
1: This is Dwight Schultz. I played Reginald Barkley, otherwise known as Broccoli, on Star Trek Next Generation and Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Grey Hot.
2: Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host Justin Ozer. Amy and Richard are away today, and we'll also be reading your Babel Conference feedback on the next episode. But join with me today are two special guests. Dan Gunther and Bruce Gibson of Literary Treks. Uh, Dan, how are you doing today?
0: Hey, Justin, doing well. Really happy to be here, uh, stepping out from my usual role on Trek FM. Uh, happy that uh, to be a guest on Earl Gray.
2: Great to have you here. And Bruce, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing well too. It's uh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Even though, you know, Amy and Richard left as soon as we arrived. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a hint. <laughs>
1: Yeah,
2: well, you guys have been on Earl Grey before. So you've guessed it a couple times, Bruce. And Dan, you were on the episode about the Picard series announcement. But it's the first time I think we've had both of you together. So it's like literary treks coming into Earl Grey. Uh, We won't be talking about books and comics, except for a little Section at the end, Uh, but today what we'll be talking about is the pets of TNG. Now, listeners might think, and I think Bruce originally thought, yeah, Spot and Livingston the fish, and that's it. But uh, believe it or not, there's quite a few that we have to talk about here, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, actually, I want to start out with a with a question. So, I know that there's a lot of fans that have named their pets after Star Trek characters. Is that anything you guys have ever done?
0: I did actually have a dog named Dax for a little while uh, during my childhood. Uh, and One cat that it wasn't her actual name, but I nicknamed her Tribble because she was like this big puff ball.
3: (laughs) 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 I like the name Dax for a dog. That's really cool. I have not. uh, Well, because all the pets we've had recently have been my kids, so they get to name them. I tried to name my children after Star Trek characters, <laughs> and that didn't really work, except for in the novels, there's Captain Mackenzie Calhoun, and I was mm-hmm. able to get my second daughter, my youngest daughter, Mackenzie, in, as her middle name. So that And that really did come from that book. That was where it, the idea came from for Mackenzie. But for pets, no. I did have a cat named Leia before I got married, but that's hmm. after Princess Leia. But no, not from Star Trek.
0: Her middle name should have been Mackenzie, but like the Xenexian version with all the apostrophes in it, like Mackenzie or whatever. (laughs) I know. Wouldn't that have been great?
2: (laughs) Nice. Well, I know there. I haven't ever had any pets named after Star Trek characters, maybe in the future. But certainly, listeners, if you have, share a picture. Let us know. It would be great to know.
3: I will tell you, I have two Wi-Fi networks in the house, and they're named after Star Trek characters. (laughs) I have the main house,
2: so your neighbors can steal the Wi-Fi. What would that be?
3: (laughs) No, they don't know the passwords, though. I know. (laughs) So, (laughs) but the main Wi-Fi is Archer, and then I added another Wi-Fi, secondary one, for my home office, and it's called Burnham. Nice. nice. I think mine's the USS Defiant. (laughs) Oh, nice.
2: Man, you guys are way ahead of me on these things, and we <laughs> went in a direction I didn't think we would go. Uh, so mainly what we want to talk about today is uh, pets on the next generation, and there is actually more than than you might think. I'm just kind of curious, so I brought this topic to you guys, and you were like, yeah, let's do that. So what was it about the topic you were interested in?
3: Because I thought there was nothing there to talk about. <laughs> you just wanted a <laughs> <to> challenge? Like... <laughs> I was just curious. I'm like, pets? How can you talk about pets on TNG? You got Spot and Livingston. Like, what, what, how much is there to talk? I mean, we could talk about a little bit about them, but there's not really much to say about a fish. I mean, I feel like there's, you know, quite a bit about Spot we can talk about, but I thought, <laughs> where could we go? And Justin, you're like, you'd be surprised. There's more than <laughs> you think. And then I was intrigued.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, to me, it was, it was just kind of a, more whimsical topic and one that I feel like we could have a lot of fun with because I, I kind of knew right off the bat that there there are a lot of pets in Star Trek, the next generation specifically, and uh, I think more than, than people realize. So I, I felt like it was a rich topic that we could really go down a rabbit hole with. No rabbits, though, oddly enough. <laughs>
2: I don't think there are any rabbits in TNG, though.
0: <laughs> no, there's a big one in TOS, but... <laughs> yep. <laughs>
2: yep. So, well, let's talk about Spot first because clearly that's I think the first one that people would think about uh Data's cat appears in a number of episodes. I listed it out on the outline, but it's I don't know, including ones that are mentioned seven or eight plus a couple of the movies. Plus it's even mentioned uh Spot's even mentioned in Voyager's Pathfinder. So, one of the ways I want to think about this is like what does like Spot contribute to what you think about Data because I think maybe it does say something about him, and and like, what would it be like if he didn't have a cat? <laughs> what do you guys think about that?
1: Hmm.
0: I think it adds a fun quality to his character for sure, because I think a lot of times when we think of pet ownership, we think about the emotional fulfillment that it gives us and that sort of hmm. thing. But you know, you don't really get that with data. But at the same time, it brings something out in him that you wouldn't expect. So there's those fun interactions where. Uh, for example, Spot's jumping up on his computer console while he's trying to do work. Spot, you are making it difficult for me to complete my work. You know, <laughs> just these little <laughs> moments that I think, you know, he's he's not showing emotion exactly, but it's, it's kind of adding to this humanity. And I can totally see Data trying to think of different ways to explore his humanity and pet ownership. Hmm, this is something that I might try, you know.
3: Yeah, it makes him almost like a father figure to the cat. It makes him have to raise someone or take care of someone, which is a very human quality. The thing that I'm impressed about Spot is that he accepts Data, because Data is machine. He or she. Well, he or she. (laughs) (laughs) That is a loaded question. we'll, We'll get to that, I'm sure, in a moment. I'm just it accepts data for, for what spot. he is spot <laughs> yeah. spot does accept data for what he is and he is machine and we visually see him and notice that he looks human and of course the cat could look at him and think he looks human but cats have different senses and they're all about mm. smell so it, yeah, what, what does, does data, data smell like? like? <laughs> exactly <laughs> i mean what is the sense that the cat gets from this machine and It kind of tells me that the way maybe Data acts and the way he smells and the way he touches and the way he feels is enough that just not visually he looks human, but he may smell and feel human in a way for the cat to respond to him. So he has the human qualities that the cat is able to respond to. And I think that's impressive of the Data character because it shows that he is more human than probably what he thinks he is.
2: You know what? I You know, I've seen The Next Generation so many times, all the episodes. I have never, ever thought, what does Data smell like? And now I have. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, I'm thinking maybe there is a certain smell that he emits to be more human, maybe. I mean, because I think about, like, in, in Birthright, when Bashir sees Data and he's like, your hair grows, you have a pulse, you breathe. You know, there's all these things where he's supposed to be human. And you, And you're right, Spot... <laughs> it's funny. I think Spot accepts Data, but the actual cats that were playing Spot, Brent Spiner likes to talk about how difficult they were and they would never do what, what they were supposed to do. But that mm-hmm. never came through. But uh, you know, I think that's that's really interesting. It does say something about Data exploring his humanity, but also how human he appears even to another animal.
0: Yeah, I I like the comment about Brent Spiner because he has commented frequently that Spot is the worst actor that he's ever worked with. And interestingly enough, I just looked on the Memory Alpha page and I like the list of actors who've played Spot. Monster, Brandy, Bud, Tyler, Spencer, Zoe, and an unnamed iguana.
2: That's right, (laughs) there was that time that Spot became an iguana.
0: (laughs) Exactly.
3: Oh, I love it. Well, there's several things I've been thinking about since this topic came up, which is so funny because as Star (laughs) Trek fans, these are the kind of things that we think about. This is
2: the deep dive stuff, the pets of the next generation, right? Right.
3: (laughs) But I was starting to think about how, of course, with the replicators and such, we can give Spot cat food and then, of course, water. But I'm very curious about 24th century litter, Mm -hmm. like how that works. Is it like a typical litter box or in the future do... Is there another mechanism that cats do their business in and that it cleans itself like a kitty toilet type apparatus? And or maybe it I has like a
2: little transporter that dematerializes it just like dishes and food after you eat, right? It could be.
3: I mean, <laughs> I, I know it sounds funny, but seriously, you know, who knows what the future holds? We, you know, they may not be using litter. There may be some new mechanism or some kind of thing that cats go to use that makes it clean to clean up.
2: Also, something I never thought about before. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I've, I've, you know, thinking back to all the episodes of the Next Generation, I've never noticed a litter box in Data's no, quarters. No, I don't I've,
2: think you ever see one.
0: I've oddly enough never thought of it. That's weird. no,
2: I, I have, I haven't either. But I think the other thing that it introduces with these pets is there's kind of like an everyday, mundane kind of, kind of aspect to it, right? You know if you have if you have pets like I have a couple of cats, you see them every day, you interact with them, you do stuff with them, and you just kind of take it for granted and I think this is one of those things where you get to see the everyday stuff. It doesn't have to do with you know big battles or moral dilemmas or anything or you know time anomalies or anything. It's just like the everyday stuff on the ship, and I like to think about that as as like a real ship where real things that people do happen right.
0: Until the cat de-evolves into an iguana and well, ye- somehow okay. still gives birth to kittens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so I think there's some theories about that. Because originally Spot is re- referenced as a male cat, right? And then mm-hmm. gives And birth is to a kittens. different
0: breed when we first see him slash her as well. Yeah.
2: Wasn't there something in one, in the Star Trek encyclopedia at a certain point that suggested that Spot was actually like a shapeshifter? <laughs>
0: Yeah, there was, it was in the italic <laughs> font. In the It was speculation on the part of Denise and Michael Okuda that perhaps Spot was a shapeshifter or also perhaps the victim of an unfortunate transporter accident. <laughs> I I personally, you know, not to take the wind out of any sails here, but I also I, I think the more reasonable explanation, especially since uh, he slash she changes entire breeds, is that data had another cat or two and is just very unoriginal when it comes to
2: pet <laughs>
1: names
2: <laughs> i think that would i think that would make sense because people do that sometimes they'll have a pet you know it'll pass away and they'll have another one to name it in its honor right mm-hmm. maybe
3: Now that's really interesting i've often concluded that yeah he must have had Went through several cats. I'm not. I don't know what he's done to them, but also, yeah, naming them Spot along the way. Boy, this could be like a very horrific episode of cats with data. But, but I the, the shape shifting thing is is kind of humorous to me. I mean, it could be true. But one of the things I thought about: we don't know if this cat is from Earth, though. Is that right? I mean, it could be a cat from another planet that
2: that looks like an earth cat
3: that <laughs> looks like an earth cat but these cats you know they're born male but they turn female over time and they their looks change
2: and, and and actually even on earth there are i think there are some marine species where that happens where it'll start as a certain sex and then move into another one at a certain time in its life cycle so yeah
0: some amphibians too i think yeah and uh, you know <laughs> Spot could actually be the same species as Isis who is Gary Seven's cat in the original series but maybe not I don't know. Maybe it is Isis Maybe she's actually Keeping a Keeping
2: tabs on <laughs> the <That's weird>. Enterprise <laughs> Oh god, alright that's mm, maybe too far <laughs> But but anyway I, I, I do think that that the, I mean and Spot is what, actually one of the very few pets you actually see more than once. I think it's Spot Porthos, Chester from DS9, and Livingston, who we'll talk about next. So you actually don't see that many pets again and again. And you see Spot like again and again. And I think it's it's pretty funny that some of the other crew members have difficulty dealing with Spot. I was actually rewatching uh, Timescape <laughs> today, where at the beginning, Riker has like these, these scratches on his face from Spot. And then at the end of the episode, when everything's settled, he just kind of goes into Data's quarters and he's like, that cat around <laughs> he's just like really afraid of it and apparently only data and barclay can really handle the cat right
1: mm.
0: and of course there's the famous scene with Worf, which is one of my favorite scenes where uh data is having Worf look after spot for a few days and you must love him and tell him that you love him and pet him and worse like i will feed him and then <laughs> sneezes on the cat on the way out the
2: door. <laughs> it's great. Doesn't Data also say tell him he's a pretty cat? Is it yes, that I one? believe yeah.
0: so. <laughs> tell him he's a pretty cat. <laughs> and Worf just gives him this look like uh, no, like are you kidding me? <laughs> this the, the Klingon shade that Worf throws at Data there is terrific. Doesn't Worf become
3: Spot's new owner after Data dies? And
2: I was going to go into that in another section, but
3: Oh mm-hmm. well, we'll hold off on that teaser.
2: Mm-hmm. We'll go into that more because Spot does appear in some of, or referenced in some of the novels, which we'll get to at the end. But but yeah, I I I think that that Spot does add something, and and I like that there's a pet and it's a cat and Data's trying to deal with it. And you're, I think you're right. What you said uh, originally, Dan, that usually for pets we're looking for some kind of. I think it's one of two things actually. People can get a pet either for the emotional connection, or a lot of times in the case of a dog, for protection, or just for maybe there's a specific task like they're herding dogs or whatever. But there's there's some kind of thing that we're looking to to get from our pets to enrich our lives in some way, right? Uh, and data is just trying to explore that, and it's just another it's another element of that, which which I think is great and and add something. I think if we didn't have him with a cat or another pet. you wouldn't be able to kind of take it in that. I think it adds something, an additional direction. Mm -hmm. Anything else you guys want to say about Spot?
0: Don't think so. I guess uh, the the little connection to Barkley, I always thought was a little interesting too. The fact that Barkley has this problem relating to people a Mm -hmm. lot. He has this kind of social issues, but he really takes to Data's cat and is kind of the only person that, can successfully cats it for data. And I thought that little um, that little insight we get in the episode Genesis was really nice. You know, I thought that was really cool.
2: Yeah, and it does add something, I think, to Barclay's character because he can have a better interaction with a cat than people sometimes. Yeah, I don't know, maybe there's just something that's that's simpler about it or the expectations easier. And maybe for other people, they're trying to put too much into it, or they put their fears <laughs> of cat's claws into it or something. And he's just like, Oh, you know, this is simple. All you have to do is occupy the cat, clean its futuristic litter box, maybe make sure it has food and water and that's it. I, maybe for Barclay, it's just simple. And for other people, they're overthinking it too much. <laughs> Although I don't know if Worf overthinks. He's like, I will feed him. That is it. <laughs> I
3: wonder who the vet is on the ship, because Spock mm. does need
0: medical care. Does Beverly Crusher handle that, or Ooh. somebody There is, else? in the episode Genesis, when she's pregnant, oddly enough, Crusher is the one to examine Spock and tell Data how soon the kittens are arriving, so... I, I never actually thought of that. If there's, We do know because it's mentioned that there are, I think, nine or 12 male cats aboard the Enterprise that mm-hmm. could be the father of Spot's kittens. So we know there's a lot of pets aboard. So I think a full-time vet would make sense. It
2: would make sense. I, and I don't think in the 24th century they just combine it like, oh, I'm the doctor for people and animals. They probably still want to separate it out. But you know what? There, there's the next, like, CBS series, <laughs> <It'll be> like <laughs> like Star Trek vets.
3: <laughs> well, I, my initial thought was yours, Justin. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you'd have to have somebody who specializes in being a vet. But then doctors are different at this time because they have to be able to handle different species, different beings from different places. So maybe with that kind of practice... Animals is just like, you know, working on some other species that they might find on their planet. But then again, I still think you would have someone that specializes in more animals. Yeah. and.
2: Be- I mean, because you would think like, if you're going to be a doctor and deal with all of these humanoid species, there's tons of them, right? And there's just a lot of different things to know. And you'd think for animals, there'd be tons of them also from all kinds of different planets. So I think it'd be too much for all of that together.
3: Yeah, mm, probably. Maybe. And and in my head canon also, I think that the the daddy cat that uh <laughs> came from Riker, that Riker has a secret cat running around the ship that's impregnating <laughs> the other <laughs> cats.
2: <laughs> like you know it. what I was thinking? You know who would be actually maybe would work as a combined like doctor for humanoids and animals? I think it would be the EMH, because you could just like load up all the great veterinary doctors, right? Yeah, maybe. I think
0: so. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's interesting because I was actually thinking about like, you know, when Data consults Sigmund Freud or something on the holodeck, maybe there's a veterinary program he consults with regards to spot. But yeah, I like that. Once the EMH becomes uh, becomes a fixture on Federation chips, it makes sense. He would totally handle that stuff. Yeah. And probably be really annoyed by it too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> These cats. And all the other species. So, please ma- state the
0: nature of the veterinary emergency.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So maybe one thing that's just like a bit of a, a side note is that Spot isn't the only cat of data that we see, because because in the alternate future of all good things, apparently data's become like a cat, like Professor Cat Person. <laughs> he, I I, <laughs> I have an image here in our outline. I think it shows like three different cats, but I think there was more. Right? Maybe it was like four or five or more, just like running around.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lounging on on like the mantle and stuff in, in his Cambridge uh, quarters, I guess, in all good things. I, I do wonder if a bunch of them were holographic because we know part hmm. of that room is holographic. But at the same time...
2: <laughs> Bruce can't believe we're talking about holographic cats. <laughs> is that holographic
0: it? cats. There's a holographic iguana in Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But my other theory, of course, is he has so many cats at this time, because if you take my earlier theory about there being multiple spots, Gata doesn't have a lot of luck with cats. So he's just, you know, he's he's got like 10 of them.
3: So wait, are you saying that all the cats in his Cambridge place are all named Spot?
0: (laughs) Well, I am now.
3: (laughs) He's like, Jordy, welcome to my place. Oh, don't sit on the spot. Oh, and spot's over there on the mantle.
0: Oh, and there's another spot over there. My place is filled with
3: spots.
0: (laughs) Data's cats are like the queue. It's just the spot continuum. They're all called spot.
2: But I think it would be more orderly for Data. There'd be like spot one, spot two, spot three, spot four, (laughs) maybe.
3: Yeah. Well, more computer-like spot 2.0, (laughs) 3.0. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Wow. So many things I hadn't thought about before. Um, (laughs) I don't know, but there's something about all those cats are just kind of roaming around. It makes makes his life maybe seem a little bit more like disordered and just like open to chaotic stuff happening. I don't know. It seems a bit like that to me, but maybe I'm reading too much into that.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's a very interesting thing about his character is his life is extremely ordered. And I think one of the least orderly (laughs) animals you could have as a cat sometimes you know so it's kind of interesting that it throws this kind of rock in the pool of data's life and creates ripples i think that that kind of make him more human i guess
2: i would i would disagree a bit with your contention that cats are the most disordered of animals maybe i've just gotten lucky but we have two cats and basically they don't really like Uh, shred up furniture or bother me too much unless it's time for their food. But on the other hand, my mother-in-law has a little chihuahua mixed dog that is just so hyper and always wants your attention. (laughs) It feels a lot more disordered and difficult to deal with than our cats. But a lot of people probably disagree.
3: My first cat, I didn't have a cat as a kid. I got a cat when I was single. And my girlfriend at the time was like, oh, why don't we go get a cat? Why don't you get a cat? You can use a cat. And so I got this cat and I would use start complaining about the cat because she was just just unruly she was just always like doing things and like attacking me and ripping (laughs) up things and whatever and she started you know saying that i was being unreasonable and she was going to take the cat to her home for the weekend so it could have some peace of mind and not be around me complaining about it (laughs) She returned the cat then at the end of the weekend and said, "You can have her back. She's a devil cat. She terrorized my <laughs> cats." And da 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 da. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can't do cats anymore." She calmed down after time, but now I have two cats and they're the sweetest things. So no, no, no cat is alike.
2: No, and before this we did have more of a devil cat that would always like bite your ankles and like knock glasses off the tables and stuff. So maybe it just depends. <laughs> now we have two much better behaved cats, but. I don't know. Maybe it's just a challenge. I mean, it is a question like, why would Data want to have cats instead of, I don't know, a dog, a fish, an iguana, something else?
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
2: We don't know. Anyway, we've talked about Data's cats a lot. Should we move on to the next thing? <laughs> sure. Which is the other pet that a lot of people probably think about for TNG, and that is Livingston, the fish in Picard's ready room. Now, I don't think the fish has ever called Livingston on screen, but I think uh, behind the scenes, they called it Livingston in, in honor of producer David Livingston. And it's in quite a few episodes. And I, I think it's also interesting that Patrick Stewart hated having Livingston in the in the ready room, and he was constantly asking the producers to to remove the fish. And I'll just quote from Memory Alpha here. It says, uh, Stewart felt it was inappropriate to have a captive animal in a series that valued the dignity of different species. So uh, in Chain of Command, Ronnie Cox, who played Captain Jellicoe, he apparently agreed with Patrick Stewart, and you see Livingston temporarily removed in chain of of command, but then comes back later. So I, I I do think it's it's interesting that you have this kind of constant presence of this fish, and it's something Patrick Stewart hated, and he was arguing like people in the 24th century wouldn't do that. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Do you think people wouldn't keep fish in a tank anymore?
3: I think they would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have Spot in data's quarters i mean spot's not running around the ship is he
2: not usually well,
0: occasionally <laughs>
2: apparently, <I> mean, apparently <laughs> unless another male cat is just coming to <laughs> to data's quarters to visit must be running around a bit
0: uh, data does say spot has escaped on however many separate occasions but uh that is an option that is not afforded to a fish who is trapped in a tank. You know, Livingston can't escape and roam the ship a bit. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those things that, you know, if I really stop and think about keeping fish in a tank, it does feel oddly cruel to me, even though, I don't know, we, we just never really think of it in that aspect. So I, I think Patrick Stewart's got a point. I it doesn't seem to really fit in this universe. I think uh, for us watching a television show in the 20th century, though, it's, you know, fish are kind of more of a decoration than an actual pet to us anyway, but to them in the future that I I feel like that would probably change. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I tend to agree as well. I mean, I think there's something maybe a little bit different with cats and, and fish, let's say, because, Cats have been, I think, domesticated for quite some time and are kind of used to, to certain settings, but I think for a fish well, maybe I don't know how it actually works, but but I think for there hasn't been as much of that tradition, and so it's it's more that they would like to, or maybe I'm reading into it, would like to be in like a greater body of water and just swimming along, but it's just like this small thing. And especially in Picard's ready room, it's it's pretty small. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the fish is just kind of like, hmm, hmm. It doesn't get to do much really. And people look at it from time to time. But I think it's interesting that it's that that fixture. And I I wonder why they made that decision to even put a fish in the ready room. Maybe it was just like a bit of like color or something. I don't know why why they even... Ended up adding it.
3: Well, I, you know, I, this is very interesting. I didn't know that he had said that and had his concerns. I never even thought about that. So, but, you know, there's a lot of. Have you seen like these little fake fish that you put in a bowl and they kind of move around? I think they're plastic or something or whatever.
2: And they it, have like little motor or something. Yeah, or something yeah. to that
3: effect. Now we're talking about the twenty fourth century. Maybe I'm not saying it's a motorized Livingston, or, <laughs> but you know, it, it could be a holographic fishbowl. I'm just saying, you know, if we want to say that. Picard so he has
2: holographic emitters in in his ready room.
3: In the, just in the bowl. Just in that okay. round thing, there's like, or some, it's some kind of yeah, little display that the fish really isn't real. It's a replication hmm. of one. Yeah, it could just be like a
0: three dimensional animated thing. Or yeah, like a like video that. player in there or something. That looks <laughs> real. Yeah, a, a screensaver basically, <laughs> yes, like yes, you know, that's something it. like that. I it's never a thought Picard of that. screensaver. <laughs> Although Q does wow. refer to Picard being worried about his fish in all good things, so I don't know. Maybe it's good enough to have
2: fooled. I think you it's though. a real fish, Bruce. I mean it's a nice attempt, <laughs> but <laughs>
0: Well, I think
3: the fish is real, but but in my head canon it's not.
0: Oh shoot. Okay. I have uh I have evidence to support it being a real fish, and that's in the episode Genesis, uh, it does de evolve with the rest of the crew and is kind of a weird. And when Riker
2: deevolves, he, he was thinking about eating it, right?
0: Yeah, he was trying to break <laughs> into the the tank and it's and it's yeah this weird white sea creature of some kind it's de-evolved into so that's no that's uh, right unless it's a very good very adaptive <laughs> screensaver
2: <laughs> and it could just de-evolve with the rest of them as part of the screensaver and make it look realistic that de-evolve thinks he can eat it <laughs>
3: <laughs> there you go why not <laughs> sure no, sure I- This is such a sorry state of events for me because I'm just thinking how pathetic I am. And we're all like this about (laughs) Star Trek and thinking all these things like it's just ridiculous. (laughs) And it's like I'm thinking in my now, like maybe because I read so many novels and stuff because I'm always trying to fill in the blanks. Maybe this fish was found on like another planet. Maybe it's not from Earth. And the planet was being destroyed. And Picard, when he was on the stargazer, rescued the ship. He can't return it to the water on the planet. The, water is, the fish is not compatible to be in the water on Earth, so he can't release it into anything. So he kept the fish alive, and then when he joined the Enterprise, brought the fish with him on there. And it's a reminder that he has saved the life as this fish. It's the one life that he's able to save from this dying planet, and it continues to live to today.
0: And we have 24th century uh, technology. So perhaps Picard somehow has asked the fish if it's okay (laughs) to live there. And the fish says, yeah, no, I'm cool, bro. I'm good. And Troy says, I sense Livingston is happy.
2: Yes. All right, Bruce. You need to get right on that and just pitch that to Pocket as a great stargazer novel about well, Livingston's origin. We, ha-
3: we have that an no interview with, for. Her. We have an interview with David Mack coming up, so I'll share that with him. You should. <laughs> but knowing him, he'll kill Livingston at the end of his book. <laughs> oh, yep, <yeah>, probably.
2: <laughs> yeah, along with billions of other fish.
0: <laughs> oh.
2: Wow. <clears throat> I didn't expect we would go that direction with Livingston and <laughs> even try to figure out his origin. Now, okay, so Livingston appears in a number of different episodes. I think doesn't actually appear on screen in the movie, but interestingly, according to Memory Alpha, Livingston's aquarium was actually on the set in the new ready room for the Enterprise E, but they just never shot it. So as far as that's concerned, Livingston is still around and survived the crash of the Enterprise E, a D. or Or maybe it's just... An aquarium with a different fish anyway we don't know what really happened to livingston actually there's going to be some interesting stuff in when we talk about books and comics because livingston does appear in at least one that i found so Good. <laughs> that'll be interesting Yay! so yeah i think we ended up talking a lot more about livingston than i thought because i think has less of a role to play really in story than spot but any other thoughts on livingston
0: I think it's pretty cool that Livingston is actually the first recurring pet in all of Star Trek. So Livingston was first and then Spot was second. So that is, uh, you know, kind of start of a pretty cool legacy.
2: Yeah. I mean, we have yet to have a recurring pet in Discovery and who knows, maybe in the Picard series, Picard has Livingston or a different fish. Or something.
0: <laughs> Although if he's against it, he seems to have more to do with the behind-the-scenes stuff. So he might be doing
2: that. <laughs> Someone else has a pet.
0: <laughs> and I'm glad you brought up Discovery because, again,
3: earlier today I was thinking about how there's no pets on Discovery. And I think Burnham would be a great candidate to have a pet in the series. Either that or Saru. I'd like to see either one of those two characters have a pet.
2: I want to see her have a say <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> i could
0: see happen. saru being like very outspoken against someone having a pet like because of what we know of his background yeah i could you know that'd be an interesting that would actually almost be an interesting little uh diversion for the series to take you know a little um i i, I don't know if it's really a social issue but just a, a you know a little disagreement between characters hmm. yeah well
3: I think that's a really great point. I know we're not here to talk about discovery, but I will say Lorca did have a Tribble. So I would say he did have it. That's a, true. We did have a pet on there.
0: It was, but it was dissected. I
3: think.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, uh, well, there were some live ones in his ready room, right? For multiple episodes. So that's another recurring one maybe, but is yeah. it a pet? <laughs> I don't know. Huh? Okay. And it
0: depends uh, where you fall on the side of the sentience of Ripper, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah really but that's pet. not a pet. More of a drive component, but...
2: <laughs> mm, well, that goes into something different, but I wouldn't consider the Tardigrade a pet, really. Although you can get really cute little plush dolls of the Tardigrade, so... <laughs> this is true.
3: <laughs> oh, I need to order one.
2: Yeah. Well, let's continue, because I think we've gone through two, and I have like 13 more on the list. So. <laughs> although I feel some, like there's less to say about a lot of them. There may be them. less <laughs> to say about some of them, although you may be surprised. All right, so... <laughs> So the next thing I wanted to talk about, and maybe I'll have this as a group and go a little bit out of order, but let's talk about dogs. One of the dogs that we see is actually, uh, I guess you could say it's in a flashback, Troy's childhood dog in Dark Page. And doesn't get a name, but is actually important to the storyline because in that episode, uh, the the dog runs off and and, uh, Dana Troy's sister Kestra chases after the dog and drowns sad Mm -hmm. very sad but i think it's interesting that you see like spot as this recurring cat and when you see dogs it's kind of like a little bit here and there nobody has a regular dog like porthos but i I don't know i i like dogs and i think it's nice to see them but any thoughts on troy's childhood dog just looks like a regular earth kind of dog it's a cute dog yeah
0: (laughs) yeah pretty cute dog um i'm a dog person myself for sure I remember watching this as a kid and being like, oh, cool, dog. <laughs> okay, so
3: let me ask this. this is This the first time we've seen a dog in Star Trek. And I'm not I talking about... You're not
2: talking about the unicorn dog? No. The unicorn dog talking, with the antenna? Dang. No, that's intended to be a dog. I think so, right?
0: Hmm. This is stretching my brain here.
2: That's a good question because I'm looking through the other ones that we have. Well, I get. Uh, well, is that really a dog? <laughs> um, no, actually, I think there's one thing we put in here, which is Ian's puppies and the child come earlier.
0: You're right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No. That may be the earliest, like, actual dog without horns <laughs> that we see in Star Trek. <laughs>
0: and then also before this one, but after that one, Amanda Rogers, uh, the new oh, right. person, has. Sorry, I didn't put that in puppies here.
2: Because they're kind of. Not real, but <laughs> <laughs> some of these other ones aren't real, true. Okay, so so let's talk about that. So there's Ian Troy's puppies in The Child, which I I think it's kind of cool to know that there litters. there's a litter of puppies there. They have different animals. I mean, clearly they have other cats they refer to and other dogs. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff, like day-to-day stuff that's going on, and people must have all kinds of pets, right? Mm-hmm. One would think with all the families.
0: It sounds like it. With the number of cats they say are aboard, and there's there's got to be a bunch, you know. I don't know if anybody's keeping horses or anything like that, but there's definitely (laughs) only
2: saddles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just just, saddles.
3: Yeah. I'm just getting a visual of somebody just going down
2: a corridor, just riding (laughs) down the corridor on a horse. That would sound dangerous. (laughs) But if anybody would do it, it would be Picard. You know, one thing I didn't put in here is the horses that you see in the Nexus, but.
0: Oh, and the other thing that I just thought of are all the uh, livestock that the Bringloidy bring aboard in the episode Up the Long Ladder. Not That's true. Not really pets, more um, more work animals and, and livestock, but uh, still. That's true. They, There's they, more they, animals they than we to the Enterprise for a little bit.
2: <laughs> so many. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know if we have too much to say about those. I mean, there there is one thing I think that, that I would like to say about one of the dogs that we see, and that's... Kirk's dog Butler that you see in generations and I think it's it's interesting that originally for for that Kirk's dog was named Jake but Ronald D Moore apparently said that William Shatner changed the name to Butler on set after recently a dog that had recently passed away of his own which I didn't know so hmm. it's kind of interesting because it, it seems like you know he has this personal connection to this dog who's just one that what they brought on the set or whatever, but, but I, I don't know. Does it say anything about, about Kirk that he has this, this pet dog that he loves apparently just for a short time in when, when, what does it even say? I think it was like 2284 to 86 or something is what they're referencing. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't know. I, th- I think it's, and it's a beautiful dog, but nice great Dane. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: I always remember, since the first time watching that movie, just the the tone of voice that Kirk had. Butler! Like, he was just so, so happy. happy to see this dog. And that just kind of screams as this little untold bit of Kirk's past. Because, you know, there's nothing else about Kirk that really says dog owner. Or, you know, it just would never come up before. So to see that little glimpse, I always just remember how much animation his voice had with when he interacted with the dog i thought that was really cool
2: well and and knowing the, what happened behind the scenes that he that william shatner also had this dog named butler kind of gives it a double significance because kirk the mm-hmm. character is seeing this dog in the nexus that he hasn't seen that had already passed away by the time he entered the nexus and also william shatner the actor is calling this dog butler and that was the name of a dog that recently passed away so kind of I, I don't know. I, I kind of like the the significance of of that. And I think it 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 also adds something like to the home life that you see briefly for Kirk in, in generations. Like he has a dog, and you know he has this nice cabin and horses and all that stuff. So,
3: and he makes eggs. I and didn't he makes know if he eggs
2: could with cook. <laughs> Apparently. Anyway, I think that's. <laughs> so we only see, like, I guess a couple of of dogs. Nothing like Porthos, that's for sure, where you see him, like, over and over and over again, which is great. But uh, anything else that we want to say about dogs in the next generation, the few that we see?
0: Well, there is one dog that we also see in season six who turns out not to be a dog. Oh, that is at right. All. We should
2: talk about that. Aquiel's <laughs> dog, uh, was it Mara?
0: Yeah. Mara, yeah.
2: Who, well, I mean, it seems to be a dog but it's this coalescent being instead again a <laughs> cute dog and and you get to see jordy being kind of affectionate with this dog don't you as he's listening to the logs mm-hmm. so that's nice you don't get to see jordy doing that does jordy have did he was he someone who had difficulty with spot as well I think he does, doesn't he? I
0: think so, yeah. He, I remember a scene where he's with Data in the in the Jeffries tubes crawling around talking about, you got to train that cat, Data, yeah. because of some reason or Apparently, other.
2: Apparently, Geordi's more of a dog person. How about that? Hmm, yeah. I, mean, it I can see like that. It. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: I always found that episode with Mora, the saddest thing about it was that there was a real Mora, this dog, and she died... Uh, at the hands of this coalescent being before we actually got to meet her in the episode. So I remember watching that as a kid, thinking that was really sad, that, oh, this dog died. And, you it's know, this wasn't sad. actually the dog all along kind of thing.
2: And apparently, like, it's a significant risk in the 24th century. Your pet might be killed by another being who takes its place. Ugh. Just the danger. It turns of the into a
0: really bad CGI effect. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> so I think... Let me mention a few things. I think that's about it for dogs. I only see a few here and there, unfortunately. I mean, I'm I'm probably more of a cat person at this point, but I love dogs too. And I think one of the things I really love about Enterprise is seeing Porthos. Like, mm-hmm. there's this great dog and he gets all this, not okay, not a huge amount of screen time, but, but is in a lot of episodes. And for some reason on TNG, they just made this decision like, we're just going to have Data have a cat. So let me go on to maybe some more exotic things. I think one of the things early on in TNG that I was interested in was the pet vine that Loxana has in Haven <laughs> that that she takes to this reception that has to do with Deanna's engagement to uh, to this guy named Wyatt <laughs> and how Loxana freaks out Wyatt's mother with it. A pet vine, I mean that's that's pretty exotic. What do you think about that?
3: I don't think it should be kept captive around somebody's body it should be free to grow anywhere it wants.
2: <laughs> maybe it's been domesticated for thousands of years on beta z
3: i guess i don't know it's interesting
2: i <laughs> it's mean it's weird a, right
3: a vine is a pet i i don't see anyone getting the satisfaction from a vine like they do from a cat or a dog or even a fish
0: like it's hmm. just it's just there the thing I always found interesting about this is it does seem to respond to Luxana's uh, commands and, and voice and or that even sort of thing.
2: Thoughts, maybe? Who knows?
0: Maybe thoughts. That's a, yeah. I never thought of that with regards to Betazoids. That could be. Yeah, I don't know if it, it was. It was like part pet, part fashion accessory, almost. Right. <laughs> like
2: <laughs> yeah, she was wearing it like a bracelet, almost, or like something like that. Mm -hmm. it's a little odd i I could
0: see like an alien race that's not humans developing kind of a close kinship to uh something from the animal kingdom as opposed to the or the uh plant plant kingdom kingdom (laughs) as opposed to the animal kingdom you know it's i don't know i i don't think i would really get that close to a fern (laughs) or something but you know it's kind of something like we keep plants in our houses now so if they were mobile maybe they would be more like pets i don't know
2: Maybe. Although I mean, you get like a Venus flytrap that can move pretty fast, but yeah, those maybe not as consistently like It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't move as consistently as the vine, maybe. I just think it's an interesting idea and I think I'm actually surprised that there weren't more exotic kind of pets on T N G. It was usually like it's a cat or it's a dog or something like that.
3: Yeah, or a dog <laughs> with a horn on it. But how do you wat? do you water the vine? Do you feed it? Do you like like, now I'm having questions about the vine. <laughs> like, what do you do with the vine? Like, when you're not wearing it, where do you put it? Where does Maybe it Maybe go? it's
0: got a pot at home that it just crawls back into at night or something. But it seems kind of cruel, know.
3: too. I mean, it should be in its natural habitat, don't you think? As opposed to. Maybe just, it
0: is in her back garden or something. Like that. It's just she's taking it out for the day. <laughs>
1: sure. So
2: many questions. Yeah. Or maybe it's something like what you said before Bruce that uh Lwaxana rescued it from this dying planet and has to take care of it.
3: There you go. The same planet that Livingston came from.
2: Maybe could be. <laughs> anyway, I th- I think it's 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 interesting and definitely more unusual than we usually see for pets because like it it's a vine like you doesn't even have a head. <laughs> so it's really unusual yeah
0: what what's that rick moranis movie with the with the um oh shoot talking about uh, little shop, little shop, of, shop horrors. of horrors yeah yeah you know that's kind of almost you know not a pet he's he's pretty malevolent but <laughs> you know <laughs> a living plant i guess
3: feed me seymour
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: yeah so actually another one that uh I had on the list because I think about it every time and I forget about it because you only see it once. O'Brien has a tarantula (laughs) that you see Mm -hmm. in Realm of Fear and that freaks out Barclay. So, O'Brien has a tarantula. What do you guys think about that?
3: I think that Keiko had him get rid of it then. (laughs) And that's why (laughs) you never see that too. Yeah. yeah, it's like, Miles, if I'm going to live here with that transa, that spider, it's either it goes or I go. And so he... But they'd
2: been married for a while already by the time of that episode. Yeah,
3: but... I, she I eventually
2: think... won the argument?
3: Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you never see it on Deep Space Nine.
2: You don't. Where <laughs> it would have been cool to see. I want to see the tarantula interacting with like a vole on, on DS9. <laughs> hmm. See what that's like. But
0: <laughs> See, I in my head canon, I'm just totally making this up now. Um, There was a tragic incident in which Christina sadly passed away, and that's why O'Brien and Keiko moved to Deep Space Nine because he couldn't remain on the Enterprise and all the memories that he had with his beloved uh, Christina. So you know he had to move on. (laughs) No, it's it's weird. Like when I think of O'Brien, he doesn't doesn't seem like a tarantula man (laughs) kind of person who would own a tarantula. Like it, it just. I don't, I don't even know what quality I'm pointing to to say that, but it just, you know, but I mean at the same time, that's the case with a lot of people. There are a lot of people that have something, they'd be like, oh, I never thought of that. So Well, you know, he and, rescued and, it, so he felt yeah, like he had to take care of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. There is kind of a nice backstory to it, which I like, appreciate about that too. Like you said, he did rescue her and has looked after her ever since, so you know, it's interesting. It's a facet to his character that was kind of cool. And especially that it was on TNG because it's one of the rare instances where one of the background characters at the time gets a lot of characterization with you know, O'Brien mm-hmm. in TNG. So yeah, uh, it's interesting for sure. I
2: don't know. Maybe they had the tarantula and they were thinking that uh, it would be something that would develop more. I'll bet what happened was that they had this idea. They thought it would be cool. They had the, you know, tarantula on the set, but it was probably a lot of trouble. <laughs> and they were like, we just don't need to do this again. <laughs> so I don't know. Mm. But it is one of those odd things. Like I watched Realm of Fear and I'm like, oh yeah, Brian has a tarantula. I totally forget because you see it for like two minutes, never again.
0: I would love if they had randomly brought it up in Deep Space Nine yeah. again. <laughs> if somebody had remembered and said, Let's let's mention Christina O'Brien's tarantula
2: and just Chief. Why are you so afraid of this giant spider? Didn't you have a tarantula as a pet? <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool. But who knows? Maybe in the Picard series, we'll see an older, <laughs> older O'Brien that still likes to keep tarantulas as pets,
0: or an older Christina.
2: <laughs> I don't know. How long do tarantulas live?
0: I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe she'd be like some sort of big uh, Aragog. Or or um Shelob from Lord of the Rings or something like that. She'll be hundreds of years old and just huge.
3: <laughs> yeah, I could see Worf with a Transilla. That would be interesting. You think so? He's like, you know, you have to be delicate with it, you know. Like <laughs> I he wants something it. more fearsome, but then this is like his soft side is a Transilla. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm actually reading up on tarantulas because why not? So uh, some can live up to 30 to 40 years, so eh, maybe. Oh,
3: wow. Yeah. But this one's not from Earth, so it could live longer. That's true. That's true, yeah. It's
2: from Titus IV. It's a nice planet name. Anyway, (laughs) so that's O'Brien's tarantula. So one of the things I wanted to touch upon briefly that we see, even though it's an illusion at the time, is Worf's pet targ that we see in Where No One Has Gone Before. Maybe not surprising that Worf would have a Klingon animal like a targ, but it's actually the first time we see a targ. And it looks like, I don't know, a boar with (laughs) with like unicorn horns maybe. (laughs) And it was actually played by, let me look it up here. Where's that? (laughs) Because <laughs> I'm just curious, because it looks like they just stuck something on. It does. It was, play- it was played by a female Russian wild boar named Emmy Lou. Oh. Hmm. I so like much information name. on Memory <laughs> Alpha. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I, I thought, always thought this was interesting since you first see her in The Next Generation. And interestingly enough, this is a pet that really made its mark on Star Trek, because apparently... Uh, in this scene, she peed on the carpet.
2: <laughs> and I was reading kinda, that.
0: Yeah, it's a mark that apparently was difficult for them to get rid of for quite a while. <laughs> so until they changed the carpet for season two.
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah, actually I think there there was a little more information. So according to to Robert Jessman about this wild boar, I guess, he said that pig smelled horrid. A sweet, sour, extremely pungent odor. I showered and showered and it took me a week to get rid of it. <laughs> like Okay, <laughs> interesting or bore. Like it probably can't help <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, that's why we never yeah. saw it again. Probably, yeah. I mean, that's and like okay. I'm saying this is the first time we've seen a targ. We do see some kind of pet that Krug has in Star Trek Three, but I don't think it's specifically identified as a targ, right? Yeah, I don't think. It's no, I don't identified. think so. They hadn't mm-hmm. uh, given the name yet. I think but... they wanted to call anyway. him Butler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, the Targ looks interesting, looks a little fierce, maybe not as much as I would think, but mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I, I I think it's kind of nice early in season one that you're seeing Worf had a pet and there's something he can be affectionate with. It breaks his usual demeanor a little bit. Yeah,
3: and it looks like an animal, but yet alien looking because they put the fur and the little horns
0: on it and such, so it, it works, yeah. It has- yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like the uh, the CGI targs we get later in Enterprise. I think we're a nice kind of compromise because, you know, this one if it's on the screen for any length of time, you can tell it's just a bore with some added things to it. But it's it's kind of cool that you know maybe there are different breeds of targs and that kind of thing. So,
2: I'd forgotten that the that you see targs on Enterprise, huh? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. there's
0: uh, in the first season, in the episode "Sleeping Dogs," they're mm. they're in the the mess hall of the Klingon ship they're on, That's and right. then yeah. in season four, uh, "Affliction" at the very start of that episode, there's Targs in the medical ward of that colony where they're doing right. experiments on the Klingon augments. I
2: think I remember that, but I'll have to look for it next. One well, also isn't it. Uh... Molly has a pet targ on DS9, the little stuffed animal. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: I love that stuffed animal. That's so cool.
3: It's really <laughs>
2: cute. It looks so cute.
0: I want one.
3: Not the targ, the, the plush targ. <laughs> the plush targ. Yeah.
2: It <laughs> must sell one somewhere. So, yeah, we get to see a Klingon animal. because I think, well, a lot of these are Earth animals, but some of them like the tarantulas from elsewhere. And I assume the pet vine is not from Earth. But, yeah, you don't get to see quite as many exotic ones. But there there is one that i wanted to talk about that we see briefly which is in the episode chain of command part two uh, where you see that's the one with golma Dredd basically torturing picard and you see his daughter jill aura come in and she's going to i think feed her wompat <laughs> which is some kind of animal that's on cardassia and it actually gives a little a little background that once those wompats are separated from their mothers they depend on their owners to care for them so Maybe this tradition on Cardassia of separating these animals from their mothers and keeping them as pets. It's a little hard to see it in the episode. It looks kind of I don't know, it just looks like a fur ball, doesn't it? It looks
0: like a white ferret to me. Yeah, a ferret <laughs> yeah. or some kind of something like that, yeah. It's it's an interesting animal, I think, of course, for the metaphor that you get that, you know, it's it's dependent on on its owner, and they're kind of, I think, making a parallel between Gul Madrid keeping Picard under his thumb kind of thing and dependent on him for any information and any sustenance and anything like that.
2: Well, I think it could also, maybe I'm going too far, but maybe it could also stand for the Cardassian people being dependent on the military and their government for their own care and information and all and everything that they need to know. Because this one pet gets yep. everything it needs to know from its owner, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's
0: under that, uh, under that glass dome that that's all it knows at least you know in this moment when it's getting fed but for all we know maybe it's kept under there full time and and that Mm. definitely is a is a metaphor as well for the cardassian society for sure wow you
3: know livingston is in a dome and this ferret thing is in a dome there's something about domes and captivity of pets on the next Mm. generation i wonder (laughs) if spot was ever in a dome (laughs) i
2: doubt it but But I I think it's interesting that from these pets, you can even pull like metaphors, right? I mean, maybe especially strongly in in Chain of Command, but also in how what Spot says about data. So I like that. I mean, we're having fun with these, but we're getting some serious stuff out of it too. Yeah, that's what I like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Anything more about the Wompat?
0: No, I don't think so. It's, it's just in that one scene kind of thing, and and it's very limited. But I,
2: uh, I I hope that in the future we'll see more kind of exotic pets like that from from different species. We'll have to see.
0: Hmm. I'd like to see a scenario where you know a crew beams down to a planet to make you know contact with this alien race, and maybe the prime minister walks up with his pet or whatever, and they mistakenly think the pet is actually the person they're supposed to be talking to or something like that.
2: Oh, that would be interesting. (laughs) I think there's also an, an interesting thing in, in Star Trek as well, where you see some aliens that have resemblance to pets. Like there are, let's say the locations that look like cats or in, Oh, I forget what, I think it was a first season episode where there are some aliens that kind of look like dogs. Yeah. Right. Oh, the
0: uh, the Antikens and the Antikins. Sele. I can't there remember which one. It's which. one of those. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but but there's an interesting thing also, like how, I mean, who knows how we would react even if we saw like an alien humanoid anyway. But what if it turned out it looked kind of like something you'd think of as a pet? Would you treat it differently? Hmm. hmm. I wonder. I don't
3: think I would pet it.
2: <laughs> I'd hope not because it would be like a sentient being that's talking to you I I, yeah I wouldn't
3: want this being to beam up and I go oh look it looks like a dog but it's on its hind legs walking around and it talks and I wouldn't go up to it and grab it by its head and start rubbing and go look at you look at you look at you
0: <laughs> well it depends on the relationship you'd have with it I mean even Chewie or even Han Solo pets Chewie from time to time
1: <laughs> mm, that's true and but
3: then,
2: what if Good.
3: And then
0: there was the fish-looking guys.
3: Oh, yes. the Antedians, yeah.
2: Yeah, the Antedians. That's right. So there have been several that actually look like our pets. I also wonder what if what if uh we are contacted by other aliens and we look like their pets. That would be weird. <laughs> oh,
3: I love that idea.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, that
3: really is such a great idea. Who's a good human? <laughs> I would love, well, it's kind yeah. of almost like planet of the apes type of thing. It would be great mm-hmm. if you see like, you know, a starship go to a planet and they meet this, these beings and they look more animal like, and then
0: they go and see their pets and they look humanoid.
3: That would be very hmm. interesting.
0: I feel like wow. there was something like that in the background of a Futurama episode or something. It was <laughs> like this alien walking and a little naked human or something. I could be wrong, but I remember that image.
1: <laughs>
2: Wow. That's really interesting. Okay. So (laughs) I think we just have a couple more here. Actually, there's one that, uh, that we didn't mention, which is Jeremy Astor's calico cat patches. Mm -hmm. And I think one of you had mentioned this. I'd totally forgotten about this cat. It's a very cute cat.
0: Yeah. I, I remembered very shortly before we were starting recording about this one. And, uh, this one's an interesting one because, uh, like we said, he's very obviously a calico cat. Yeah. And he's referred to as he in the episode and male calico cats are actually extremely rare. Right. And I remember that actually coming up in the Nitpickers guide by Phil Ferrand. He was talking about it that you know, that's that's an odd combination, not impossible, no. but I mean it's very unlikely. It's rare today, but not in the 24th century. And that could very well be the case
3: you as well. You think they genetically
2: I mean, engineer like male calico cats?
0: I uh, possibly or just natural selection somehow
1: <laughs> yeah
2: actually I have an interesting connection to this well not this episode but but to to calico cats because in the early days of social media this is before Facebook this was back in I want to say 2002 or three when one of the first social media sites was live journal I actually liked the look of a calico cat and I used it as my little icon and <laughs> because calico cats are nearly always female it caused people including my wife at the time to think I was female. <laughs> oh. when well, I first maybe met her, you so. were
3: and over time you changed to male. We have established there that that go. is possible.
2: I'm checking my memories No, I don't I'm not don't think that happened. <laughs> but now I see a calico cat and I and I think of that because I didn't know at the time that that was the case. I was like, "Oh, this is a cute cat because it has an interesting like multicolored pattern to it." And I had mm-hmm. no idea they're almost always female because of some gener- genetic reason, but But yeah, there are calico cats in the 24th century, which is pretty cool. Definitely. (laughs) Anyway, just a little side note on that. And a couple of other interesting ones that you guys mentioned that I totally hadn't thought about. So in Insurrection, Artem, who's one of the kids on the planet, uh, has a pet. I think this species is called Rill. It's like a little pet in his pocket. Is that right?
0: Mm, yeah, yeah actually, I actually hadn't known the name of this. I just remembered like some special features on Insurrection talking about the palm pet or the pocket pet or something like that that they had designed for the, the movie. It's this little CGI kind of furry worm chip monkey thing. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> yeah, it says uh,
2: worm-like creature on, on Memory Alpha, and surprisingly they have like three paragraphs about this thing. That's just like this hmm. thing that... anyway. I mean, it's just saying that we don't know if it was native to the planet or if the Baku, Baku brought it with them from their homeworld. And the script of insurrection described the animal as a colorful cross between a caterpillar and a jellyfish. Hmm. And the name came from the design notes, but was never mentioned in the film. And there was even a licensed tie-in beanie toy <laughs> made for a short <laughs> I time. What? It was sold I don't at Star Trek. That. The it was sold, only sold at Star Trek The Experience, apparently. Wow.
0: Oh, that's funny.
2: (laughs) It's it's crazy. There's so much on this, and I hadn't even thought about... I mean, because it just kind of goes by really quickly, Yeah, it doesn't
3: have much of a role. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have a
2: speaking part. Wait, (laughs) wait, but there's more because it appears in an RPG (laughs) sourcebook called Creatures. So Rill has the ability to use the metaphasic particles bombarding the planet to enter into slow time. This causes the Rill to suddenly disappear from view, enabling it to escape from predators. So it has a backstory in an RPG. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! crazy things that happen yeah so it's great there's more about this than i thought but it it is a cute little pet Mm -hmm. so so the other one while we're just rounding out like little random things that that uh, get appearances the dalvin hissing beetle that alexander has now i think there's just a reference to that and that troy agrees to take care of it while alexander visits his grandparents on earth this is in parallels but i don't think we see it right
0: I don't think so. I think it was right at the end of the episode where Worf comes back and he's expecting the surprise party. Peeks around the corner and there's nobody there. And then Troy comes around the corner and (laughs) (laughs) startles him. It's like, I'm just here to look after Alexander's Dalvin hissing beetle. So you do not live here. What's that (laughs) supposed to mean? (laughs) Which if you're familiar with that episode you'll know why. But it's hilarious.
2: Uh, but but so it is a little plot point. That's the reason that she startles him in his quarters. Mm-hmm. I wish we would have seen that because a hissing beetle sounds interesting. It does, yeah. Yeah. And it's an alien, it's a Dalvin, some kind of insect from somewhere. I, I'm
3: picturing Paul McCartney hissing. That's my hissing beetle in my head cannon. Oh
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably under a dome. And you know, there's just little Paul McCartney. <laughs> Let me out of here. Let me out of here, love.
2: (laughs) Well, because of Discovery, the Beatles are canon, so is Paul McCartney. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, there's been quite a few that we've talked about. Of course, I think we spent the most time on spot because there's just a lot to say about that or Livingston, but there's a whole bunch of others. And I think, I don't know, when I'm watching episodes now, I'm probably going to notice these things a little bit more, or appreciate them. Sometimes it's just background or adds a little bit, but I think it can also add something to the characters. But before we finish up, I think there is something that we have to talk about, which is pets in the novels and comics because you guys do literary treks all about the novels and comics and I found a few things here that I thought were interesting. So first of all, uh there is some stuff about Spot in uh some of the novels and and comics. I can read it out or you guys can go over it if you want cuz I think it's interesting to see where what Spot does.
0: Mm-hmm. I did like this little bit and we talked we mentioned it earlier about uh, Spots' ownership falling to Wharf after Data died in Nemesis, uh, and and I do remember that now that it's been brought up here. I, I like this little bit that Spot and Wharf did not get along at first, but Worf soon came to, soon came to see the feline as a proud warrior who sees what she wants and takes it, and uh, you know just the 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 stereotypical. Um, assertive attitude of cats and that appealing to Worf, I think is kind of cool.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, and uh, I'm trying to think. So they they make reference to a couple of novels. I'm not sure if it's in A Time for War, A Time for Peace or In Orion's Hounds, but but yeah, I, 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 I do like that. And clearly Spot is pretty fierce and feared. <laughs> Riker <laughs> kind of fears the cat and so do some others. So I think that's that's pretty great. So there is that part. And then Well, the next part kind of spoils things, so maybe I won't say. (laughs) But Spot keeps living for a while longer. And I think as far as the books are concerned, it's still alive, right?
3: I don't remember a death scene for Spot in any of the books.
2: No, no, I don't think that's happened. So Spot is still alive and well, pretty old apparently. (laughs) Because there's a a place where, where Spot appears and is 17 years old and expected to live longer. But but here's another one I from the Countdown Comics. So Spot was a subject during Data's experiments with producing paintings, including a large canvas with a stylized image of Spot that Data displayed in his ready room during his command of the Enterprise-E. Now that's with the Kelvin Comics, Countdown Comics, right? Which mm-hmm. pushed things forward further. So I actually haven't read those yet, but <laughs> I'm sure you guys oh. have.
0: Yeah, and we um, did cover them in an episode as well. And... Uh, yeah, that that's cool because over the course of the series, we do see a few paintings that Data has done uh, in various styles. And one of them, if I remember correctly, was kind of an abstract Picasso-style uh, painting of Spot. So, you know, it makes sense that, you know, Data spends a lot of his off-duty time with this cat so that, you know, she would be, you know, one of his subjects for his paintings is kind of cool. Yeah, I can see the yeah. reference to Spot
3: being something that the comics would turn to off and on, and then the novels may be mentioning every once in a blue moon, but yeah, I don't think off the top of my head that we see or hear about as many pets in the books as we have, <laughs> obviously, established in TNG, except series.
2: maybe, except maybe Porthos, but for TNG, mm. certainly, yeah,
0: oh. And uh, actually, in the upcoming Waypoint special comic that's coming, I think, later this month, one of the stories supposedly centers around Spot. So oh, that's right. So we're finally... We that one yet. But yeah, he gets his moment, finally.
2: I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't even find a depiction of Spot that's ever been in the comics, hmm. at least as far as I could see. So yeah. It, Maybe there. Oh, I, I mean, besides the countdown one. sorry. Um, I'll think about that. But I... Yeah. But it's not something that's happened very often. But actually, <laughs> actually, one of the things that I found that was kind of fun is that you do get to see Livingston in the Way of the Warrior comic, which is from 1992. And I just have a few images here. One of them's kind of fun. You, you, you really see like a real close-up of, <laughs> of Livingston kind of looking out at Geordie in the tank. And I kind of <laughs> like that.
3: That's really interesting. I don't think I ever read this comic. I don't recall yeah, I don't uh, this don't one. Either. And I was reading them at the time.
2: And I was like, oh, Way of the Warrior it must have to do with DS9. No, it came before the episode. So maybe it's one to check out because apparently, like, if you look at the cover, Q for some reason is turning people into Klingons. So there's like a Klingon Picard and Troy and Riker on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and Livingston becomes like a Klingon fish too, like darker color and some scales and stuff. So it's... It's kind it's of It's got weird, some ridges but, on the forehead. Yeah, it's got ridges <laughs> like a Klingon too. So. This is
0: interesting. This is actually one back in the day, you know, before we had things like comiXology, you just had to go buy comics. I randomly bought the second part of this story. So it was always oh. really confusing to me because the story starts with the entire crew as Klingons. <laughs> and I never, ever learned how... That came to be, except that Q had something to do with it. Now, of course, I have the the DVD, and I could just go look it up. But I've so you've never, never read, read that the first one. one. Yeah, I've never read the first one, but I love this picture of Livingston with the forehead <laughs> ridges. That's really cool. <laughs> it's
2: pretty great. I think when this drops in the Babel Conference, I'll put those images because it's pre- it's pretty great. Yeah. So we do get to see that. And actually, there's one more thing. And this actually came up in a novel that I just finished, uh, an early TNG novel called *Gulliver's Fugitives*, which came out in 1990. So uh, in that there are these. Have you guys? Either of you guys read that novel? I think, I, I think
3: it's either the first or second TNG novel I ever read, and it's a long oh, that- time ago.
2: Okay. So so basically, there are these kind of I guess they're kind of like dragon looking <laughs> animals uh, that that are an important part of this story because there's kind of this human colony that goes through this elaborate like thought and mind control and alien beings don't exist and things like that. And, but there, but there are these people that are rebelling against that. And part of what they find is that there are these animals called, what's the species Haguya. And there's one in particular named Saushulima <laughs> who has a close bond with an important character. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting to see this drag. I guess it's kind of like a dragon, isn't it? Looks. It like looks it.
3: like a dragon. Yeah. It looks like it, Yeah. Um, yeah. With long legs.
2: And, and there's actually something in there about uh, these animals being pretty intelligent and being able to understand like stories that they're told and things like that. So maybe it's a bit less of a pet <laughs> and more just, I don't know, like this other species that they have a close relationship with. But I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's about all I could find for novels and comics. There must be more, but I just wanted to touch on a few things and I'll post some images in the Babel conference when this drops because I thought it was it look kind of interesting. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah. It's pretty cool. I feel like, like you said, there's a lot more. Like, I seem to remember having read stuff about pets in in novels, but there's just so many, and I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of them like I do the episodes that I, I can't remember. I did find but, one
3: uh, uh, right before the show. It's called a Rika. It's an animal that uh, is a pet of Sargenka. Who was in the episode Pen Pals? There was a oh yeah um, Corps of Engineers ebook or whatever that I guess this was. In. I haven't read it, but uh, she. It's established as she has this pet. That's the only other one I could find at this point. Okay,
2: mm-hmm. there must be more. Well, if listeners have read a novel or comic that has some other pet, let us know. I mean, I think sometimes the there's a difficulty, which is I found Memory Beta, which does the non-canon stuff for books and comics can be kind of hit and miss because I've tried to look up some stuff and I'm like, oh, it doesn't really say anything about that. (laughs) But it's hard because there's just so much content, right? But that's Mm. what we could find. And probably if we talked about every instance, we'd be here like all day.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and there may be some
2: in some of
3: the video games too and Star Trek Online of TNG characters or TNG era stuff that have pets too.
2: Maybe you can do a mission as Spot. That'd be cool. That would be great.
3: A shape-shifting spot, <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it's been a lot of fun to talk about this. Let's go into our final thoughts. So, Bruce, your final thoughts on the pets of TNG and uh, what you made of this whole discussion?
3: <laughs> Honestly, when you said about this topic, as I mentioned earlier, I thought, "What can we talk about?" But Spot and Livingston, and you know, I was like, "This is going to be a really interesting episode because I don't think there's much to talk about." But as we've established, there are a lot more pets in TNG than at least I initially thought of. And uh, so there was a lot to talk about. As a matter of fact, it made me think earlier how I wish we would seen more pets because on the Enterprise D it's of course established that there's families on the D and, and there's, there's times I wish we would have seen maybe more of the family aspect of the D and mm-hmm. including pets. And, you know, when we see situations where, People have to be evacuated or emergency situations. It's like, why are we not seeing some pets running down the hall or people carrying their pets as they're looking to escape? Or like, you know, when the Enterprise-D crashed in uh, Generations, I don't think we saw anything regarding pets or trying to save pets on the ship.
2: Uh, Spot.
3: Well, outside, yeah. But I'm just talking about like seeing other uh, others, yeah, pets uh, besides Spot. So that would have really made it the whole aspect of families and civilians living on the D seem even more so if we saw some more pets. So.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, now that I think about it, wouldn't it have been great if they took one episode like they did with Lower Decks to look at some of the lower crew members to look at one of the civilian families and how some events of that week affect them, right? Or maybe you get to see a little of the day to day and then there's something going on. And like in Lower Decks, you're kind of figuring out a little bit what happens. That would have been great.
3: Or just things like yeah, you know, all of a sudden, like you know, Picard's on the bridge and a dog comes out of the turbo living.
2: Cut this dog off the bridge,
3: you know. <laughs> just like we have problems with children, you know, problem with these pets running around. Sir,
2: that's show. a sent. That's a sentient dog from villain planet name. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's our he, new. And he's trying man. to be an ensign. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's our new ops officer. Sir, could you be a little bit more? <laughs> yeah. Sent for sensitivity training.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: but, but but it is a good point, Bruce, like to bring up that how little that we did see of kind of that day-to-day life of the civilians on the ship. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that would be really cool. I could see like a scene where, you know, we get some exposition by a little kid chasing her dog down the hallway and it runs into a conference room where some of the senior staff are having mm-hmm. a meeting or something. You know, sorry. You
1: know.
2: And actually, one of the things that I would love, I mean, since CBS wants to put out so many series, let's have a series that focuses on civilians that doesn't even yes. have to have anybody in Starfleet and see what their experience of the Federation is. I'd love to see that because, to be honest, I think that would be my experience because uh, being in Starfleet seems kind of risky. <laughs> so I'd probably just stay as a civilian. And what would that life be like? You know, mm-hmm. there must be its own challenges, even in a utopia like Earth or like a colony planet or something like that. It could be really interesting. Yeah,
3: I mean, there's been other series on TV that have explored the idea of, you know, colonies, but I would certainly love to see a colony settling on a planet in the Star Trek universe. And maybe they're having to deal with Klingons trying to take over the planet or something, you know, trying to invade or whatever it is. But yeah, it, that it's non-Starfleet, but it's more civilians. I would love to see that. And of yeah. course, it should include pets.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so so dan uh your final thoughts
0: yeah i think um you know th- it's an interesting lens to look at the next generation through because it's you know there's all these discussions about different aspects of the show it's like kind of just looking at things from different angles and i think the way people keep pets and the relationships we have with them are is something that's very human and tells us a lot about ourselves so it it, it lends that feeling of realism to the series you know not just data having a pet but this idea that you know there's all these different animals that are having different experiences and the people that that own them and stuff so you know it's something that I think could have maybe like we said used a little bit more attention over the years and that sort of thing so it's another one of those topics that when you really drill down to it there's a lot more there than you initially think there is and Yeah, I think what it says about the characters and the people is pretty interesting. So this has been a really fun discussion. I really enjoyed this one.
2: I'm glad to hear it because originally, before I put together the list, I was thinking, is this going to be like a 10-minute discussion? (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was a lot more than that. And you know, again, I think what I was impressed by for some of these is how important they are just in how you see the character, like talking about Spot and how you see how you see data and Livingston and how, you know, fish or animals are treated in in the 24th century, or even talking about the Wompad and what it says about the Cardassian society. I mean, I think there's, I, I think that's, that's what I love. I think that, you know, any Star Trek series that you look at, it's a really rich tapestry of different layers and you can keep going at the different layers to find other ways of thinking about it that relate to our own lives. And, you know, for a lot of us, pets are very important, Part of our own lives. I mean, I said I have two cats. I have one that's next to me right now that, <laughs> that wants to meow at me, right? So they're like <laughs> present in our lives and important, and and it's great to see that in the next generation as much as we do, and even some of the books and and comics. But yeah, I think it's been really interesting and enlightening, and I'll be interested to see what what listeners have to say if there are other pets they've noticed, if there are pets that they've. Named after Star Trek characters or other things in novels and comics that that might have connected with them about pets. So, yeah, I've been, I've enjoyed it quite a bit, and glad we could talk about this topic. All right, so let's wrap up a bit, uh, Dan. Where can people find you online?
0: Well, on the Trek FM network, you can find me hosting Literary Treks with Bruce Gibson, where we discuss the books and comics that make up the Star Trek universe. Uh outside of that you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtratz, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I also have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kurtratz Productions, where I make videos about Star Trek. And uh the other thing that I'm gonna push is my book review website, Treklit.com, where I review Star Trek
2: novels, both old and new. Excellent. Thanks for being with us today, Dan.
0: Oh, thank you. It's it was a lot of fun. <laughs>
2: And uh, Bruce, where can people find you online?
3: Well, besides Literary Treks with Dan Gunther, you can find me also here on the network doing Live from the Edge with Brandy Jackala, and uh, we review Discovery when it comes out live on YouTube, and we have people in the chat like you guys have been. And so when the short treks come out, we do it the night of at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m pacific and uh when season two comes out those episodes will drop thursday we'll do the live show on fridays so check that out also i do star wars on the star wars report podcast and you can find that and i'm on twitter at admiral underscore rex and of course always in the babel conference
2: excellent well thanks for uh, being with us today bruce
3: thanks for having me and i'm never going to look at my cats the same way again i'm going to think they should be on the (laughs) enterprise d
2: Excellent. And also, I'll just mention before you guys go that, uh, you know, listeners, especially if you've read the books and comics, you really need to check out Literary Treks. It's a, it's a great show. I've guested there uh, a few times, six times, actually. <laughs> so uh, I, one of the things I really love is is the Star Trek books and comics. So it's it's a really fun show. Hope listeners check it out and hope they really enjoyed this discussion. So thanks again for being here, guys.
0: Thank you. Cool. Thanks for having us.
2: All right, so it was great having Dan and Bruce from Literary Treks on the show. So preview of next week's episode. We will be continuing our Lost Episodes series with more unproduced scripts from the next generation. So that's been a lot of fun to do, and we've got more coming for you in part four of that series. Well, it's been so much fun talking about the pets of TNG with Dan and Bruce of Literary Treks, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard orbit. It has no opposable appendages,
0: so I'm not sure how it like stole the pump. But that be that as it may,
2: without damaging that... it. Yeah, it's in perfect condition. Oh yeah, here it is back. No acid <laughs> burns on it. Yeah, it's fine. You know, Just like you
0: unscrewed it from the thing. You know, really carefully. And anyway, because this is a good episode, we're gonna let that go. This was a bad episode. we would be like, this is so stupid.
2: Earl Gray. Did I have a feeling we had we talked about Echo Papa 607? Uh, didn't we? We. Oh, we yes, we talk did talk about it on a, Well, we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording on the role-playing one. Right? Oh, oh, that's right. That's what you were thinking of. A okay. little secret thing our listeners didn't hear. <laughs> All right, 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 right. Because <laughs> you had like your, your camera drone that was showing us the dice rolls that you had and you called it Echo Papa 607. <laughs> that's right. right. Yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> that's right. I know, we, you do these things and you're like did we record that? Did listeners hear that? <laughs> I was like, I remember that. I was like, I don't remember. I was like, it, was it, was it a character? No, <laughs> Nope, <So>. nope. <laughs> Literary treks.
0: So this of course leads to a whole bunch of weird temporal shenanigans and paradoxes and that sort of thing. As they figure out what they have to do to change history so that they don't, it doesn't turn out like it does in the alternate future in book two but at the same time, not changing their past history so that they're not destroyed with the rest of the universe. And oh my god, I've gone cross eyed.
2: <laughs> Warp 5.
3: They've determined that they have to get to the Guardian of the Galaxy. The Guardian, of the Galaxy.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Guardian of Forever. Oh my goodness. <laughs>
0: We get, can work
3: in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Into <laughs> it them. could work. That would
0: just be crazy. <laughs> they have to work in the Guardian of Forever because somehow the Guardian of Forever is actually was created by the temporal Cold War
2: people. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trek.fm. That's patreo ncom slash trek.fm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Things are only impossible until they're not.